All right, well, once upon a time there was a man, and this man had two sons. And the father called in his oldest son. He said, son, the yard's a mess. It needs to be picked up, and I nominate you to get her done. To that, the firstborn son turned to his father, and he said, thanks for thinking of me, dad, but no thanks. Can't you see I'm in the middle of a Fortnite game here? I just can't quit on my squad. So if you'll excuse me, and the son continued playing his video game. But after the father left, the boy reconsidered. He put down that controller and went to work cleaning the yard for his dad. Meanwhile, the father approaches the younger son and says, Son, I have a very special job for you, to which the younger son said, Great, you know me. I live to serve. And the father said, that's what I like to hear, because the yard is a mess, and I want you to go clean it up. And the younger son said to the dad, no problem, you can count on me, after which the father left, and the younger son proceeded to sign on to Netflix and binge watch Star Wars for the rest of the day, never lifting a finger to clean the yard. So the question this morning is, which son did the will of the father, the oldest or the youngest? Which son did the will of the father? The oldest, right? I think we would all agree with that conclusion. And I hope this contemporary take on one of Christ's parables helps set the stage for what James is going to be talking about today in today's verses. In the final eight verses of, of chapter one, James will focus on the importance of God's word in our lives as we walk through our daily struggles, our daily trials and temptations. And more importantly, James stresses that we're to implement the word. We're to be be a doer of the word. We're to implement and learn from Scripture. And when we do, then the resulting behavior is what he calls a pure religion, one that is God-centered and Christ-focused. So before we get rolling, let's review and remember that James was written by the half-brother of Jesus. He was a leader in the first century church. Right? James is writing to fellow believers in Christ. They're, that's his intended audience. And that's the key to understanding the message that we hear throughout the letter. For example, in this short little letter, James calls his audience brothers 19 times. Now in Greek, that word is adelphoi, as in Philadelphia or Philadelphia, for any of you Philadelphia fans out there, the city of brotherly love. And it's very clear he's given these instructions to people, whether it be male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, who have been adopted into God's family through faith, like many of us, if not all of us, in this room. And praise God that salvation is a free gift from him to us, not obtained by works, lest anyone should boast. And what's also true is that as children of God, there's a code of conduct There's a code of conduct that our Heavenly Father expects from His children. Just like there's a code of conduct that the Father in that opening story expected of His children. We find that code of conduct in the Bible. So, let's finish out the first thing, the first chapter of James this morning, beginning with verse 19. And let's see what God is going to tell us about our behavior, about our code of conduct. James, chapter 1, 19, reads like this. This you know... My beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. So, this section of James is all about allowing the word 
to impact our lives, especially through trials and temptations we've been talking about. But we can't do what we first have not received, correct? You can't do what you first haven't received. So he begins on telling us how to properly receive the word of God so it can transform us, mold us into the image of Christ and put it into practice. So he says this, and we've all heard this verse many times. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Makes sense, right? Quick to hear, slow to speak. It's hard to listen when you're doing all the talking. And I got in major trouble this week. It was pretty major trouble this week with Tina, actually. Of doing the opposite of this very thing. I was slow to hear and I was very quick to speak. right? And I fully admit I need to listen. I need to work on my listening skills I mean, really, what husband probably doesn't. These verses are so applicable to our interactions with others, but it's even more so regarding our interactions with God. We must control our mouth, control our thoughts, control our perspective, our preconceived notions of the way things should be in our mind, and we need to be quick to listen to him, listen to God. And And regarding listening, in these ancient cultures, remember that listening was very, very important because books were very, very rare. And every household in America probably could have a Bible if they really, really wanted one. But this wasn't true throughout much of antiquity, right? Back in the day, if you weren't disciplined in listening, then you're going to miss out on some important spiritual truths that the spokesman of God would be talking, would be saying through his holy word. We need the word. We need the truth. Because as humans, we are professionals at justifying certain behavior. We just are. We give in to temptation, and somehow we justify that sin in our mind. So James is reinforcing that before we're quick to speak, before we are quick to cross that line into potential sinful behavior, we better be quick to hear the word of God and what he has to say about it. God is the source of all wisdom. Solomon knew this. He writes in Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. We need to be eager to listen, quick to hear the word of God. And then James also throws in there, and be slow to anger, right? And remember, these brothers and sisters, there might have been a temptation for them, a very real temptation to lash out in anger because they were being persecuted. And when you're being persecuted, they might have wanted revenge. They might have wanted to lash out. So he says, be slow to anger. And again, the context here is very, very relevant. Because remember, many of these early Christians lived in Jerusalem. At once lived in Jerusalem. Where they were very bold about their faith. They weren't ashamed of the gospel of Christ. They met regularly for prayer. And when someone had a need, they sacrificed their time. And sometimes they sold their material possessions to provide for that person and help. They shared the message of Christ with about, it seems like, whoever they met. And that's Acts chapter, chapters 1 through 6 in a nutshell. But then persecution broke out with Stephen. And many of them had to flee for their lives and relocate elsewhere in the Roman Empire and start from scratch. And they're wondering if these trials and these tribulations they're experiencing, is it their own fault? Did they do something wrong? And is God punishing them? You can understand their frustration and their anger. These are natural emotions to feel if you're experiencing this type of situation or persecution. And that's, that's called what we call righteous indignation. It's a form 
it's a form of anger that motivates us to fight against injustice. But James calls this type of anger that he's mentioning slow to anger, he calls it man's anger. It doesn't bring about the behavior God is looking for. Neither does filthiness or wickedness that he mentions in verse 21. When he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's the bottom line. James is calling us to live lives that honor God. We have to realize that this morning. Our souls are saved by the implanted word, the gospel of Christ. If you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are a child of God. And the book of James was written for you. And he's challenging us with this question. Now that I'm a Christian, what do I do with my life? Do I just keep living like I did before I was saved, or do I, and this is the word we all hate sometimes, do I change? James is forcefully telling a Christian to change your sinful behavior. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And this isn't one little verse. The whole book of James, five chapters of change, addressing how Christians should live in a world that's becoming hostile towards Christ. In fact, James begins his next section with a command. In the Greek, it's called an imperative. Let's read on and think about being doers of the word. He writes, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now, since it's a very well-known passage, like I mentioned before, about doing and hearing, let me ask you a clarifying question. Does God want a Christian to be a doer of the word? Yes. Very good. Does God want Christians to be a hearer of the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you guys got them both. I thought maybe I'd trick you up there a little bit, but, but I didn't. Because, yes, he wants us to be doers, not hearers of the word only. He wants us to be both. God wants us to be a hearer of the word and a doer of the word. It's not an either-or situation. Both are equally important in our walk with the Lord. So make no mistake, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. That is Romans 10, 17. If you want to hear messages from God to us, if you want to hear the messages of God, and you want to know what your heavenly father requires of us, his children, we don't need to light candles, climb mountaintops, or contact mediums. You know what we need to do, right? We need to crack open the book and we need to read it. And there are a lot of ways to study the Bible. And I know everybody's busy. And there's not a lot of free time in your schedule. And I don't mean to stress you out by giving you just one more thing to do. But if you make it a priority, you probably could find the time to read a chapter or two every day at breakfast or after dinner. I'm sure we could all do that. You can listen to the Bible as you drive back and forth to work or exercise in the gym. Some in the high school group right now are currently reading through the Bible in a year. And some are doing just that. Some are reading through the Bible, keeping on track, doing very good. Some are doing the other thing I just mentioned. Some are listening 
to the Bible every day as they go about their daily life. Listening to the, to the audio version of the Bible is very, very practical in our day and age. For example, there, I think we have a picture of this app. If you don't have this, this is called Version, and it will read to you every verse out of every book of the Bible. In case you're interested, look for that in your app store, and you could download that. Or if you really, really want to go deeper with others, come to our Bible study on Wednesday evenings. Uh, there's plenty of ways for you to be a hearer of the word. And for James' audience, it doesn't seem like this was the problem, right? It doesn't seem like this was. They were like the second son in the parable I told you earlier. They just weren't doing. The problem is if hearing is all you do, then it's kind of out of balance, right? Yes, we have a responsibility to learn scripture and learn theology and learn how to, be, learn how to evangelize. Right? We have a responsibility to share our faith. We have, we have to learn apologetics so we can defend our faith. We have a responsibility to make disciples. All that is true because, after all, that's what Christ has commanded us to do. But it's not enough just to know how. Right? A surgeon who knows how to remove a cancerous tumor but refuses... To operate is worthless. So think about it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. When this day comes for you, what will the Lord say to you? Will you be getting some of those crowns we talked about last week? This is why James is commanding us, be doers of the word. Because if you aren't doing, you're like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and once he goes away, he forgets entirely what he looks like. I always love that little illustration because here James is using something physical to represent something spiritual, something we're all familiar with, a mirror. And the point is not whether the mirror is decorative or trashy looking. The point is, is that mirrors are useful tools. For example, is there anyone here this morning, raise your hand, if you can honestly say you did not look, in a mirror, look into a mirror before coming to church this morning? Corey. Corey just got out of bed and flew to church. You're running late. You missed daylight savings time and all. Is that it? No, the little one's Okay. So, yeah, I, most of us, uh, we looked in a mirror today before coming to church. I'm assuming that most of us did. So that's the normal process, uh, excuse me, and the normal purpose of a mirror, therefore, as we look into it, is not so we can just sit there and admire ourselves, right? The purpose of the mirror is to correct flaws so others can admire us in a way. I'm going to make a little confession here. I don't stagger out of bed in the morning and make my way over to the mirror and say, oh, Mark, man, you are looking great today, right? Lately, I've staggered out of bed, and I ran over to the mirror, looked over in the mirror, and I said, oh, my goodness, you know, what is this? You know, another wrinkle here, you know, right there, another hair coming out of my ear or my nose. I mean, you know, what is going on? The purpose of a mirror is so we can examine ourselves to see if there's any faults, like that little ear hair, that need to be corrected, right? And when you look into a mirror and you notice something's wrong, like let's say there's a piece of spinach stuck between your teeth, you don't just leave it there, right? You do something about it because you don't want to go out in public and look a little stupid. So from this day forward, when you read 
the Bible and you encounter something that makes you uncomfortable. Like maybe it's this passage right here about rolling up your sleeves and being a doer of the word. Think about it as a mirror for your soul. God's word reveals character defects that need to be corrected in the lives of his children. When that happens, don't ignore it, right? Take action, like removing that little piece of spinach from your teeth. In doing so, you will become, as James puts it, you'll be one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. So with all this focus on doing, is James out of bounds here? Is James out of bounds? Is he stretching it a little bit too far? Well, again, remember, James is writing to people who lived during or shortly after the time of Christ's ministry on earth. And many of these people were taught directly from the apostles, think about that, who followed Jesus for over three years. And here James is essentially rephrasing the same principle Jesus taught at the close of the Sermon on the Mount. So, no, he's not stretching this concept too far, not in the slightest. Because if you remember two weeks ago, I used one of Jesus' teachings about the wise man and the fool to illustrate that trials will come in this life, that they're inevitable. And that fact was evidenced in a teaching where both the houses, the wise man and the fool's houses, had to weather the storm. One stood, one fell. To start off the parable, however, think about this. And let's try to remember, how does Jesus start off that parable? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. Hearing, doing. Then, of course, Jesus ends the parable, or a little bit farther along, says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Hearing, doing. So in this teaching, and in so many others from our Lord, he tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And hopefully you're starting to ask yourself just a couple questions this morning, right? One, am I regularly hearing God's word? And then two, am I doing what the word requires? Now, if you're not, just simply are you willing to change? Because if it hasn't hit yet, storms will come, and when we, when we meet a storm, a trial in life, we need Christ to endure them. And believe it or not, we also need each other, everyone in this room. Because he goes on in verse 28 here and says, 26, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In verse 26, James provides yet another illustration of really of self-deception when he writes, If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And, and once again, before we talk about this thing he calls religion, I want you to understand that again, James is reinforcing here 
a teaching of Jesus. Because Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 34b through 37, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. A good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and an evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So over the next couple of chapters, James is really going to have a lot to say about what comes out of our mouth. Right? Have you ever taken the time to weigh the words that come out of your mouth? I mean, especially considering the fact that we just read where Jesus says, our Lord and Savior says that one day every careless word you say or post in this day and age, I guess, every careless word you say will be called into judgment. Maybe it's a worthwhile project for us to consider the words that come out of our mouth, especially if you consider yourself to be religious. James starts off this section with, if anyone thinks himself to be religious. So let's just talk about that for a minute because religion today seems to me to get kind of a bad rap. I mean, when most people hear the word religion, they tend to think of things like maybe the Crusades where historically men with crosses on their chest, you know, uh, killed and conquered in the name of religion. Or more recently, you might think of jihads where men with the symbol of the crescent moon and a star use their religion to justify murder of thousands of innocent people. Some hear the word religion and they think of a system that forces you to to drink the Kool-Aid and never ask any questions. Or they hear the word religion and they think of mindless rituals, traditions, sprinkling of water, lighting candles, bowing to statues, praying in certain directions. As a result, religion has got a very bad rap. You know, 11 years ago, there was a man by the name of Jefferson Bethke. He released a video on YouTube titled, Why I Hate Religion But Love Jesus. We're not going to play it for you this morning. You can go home and Google it. I guarantee you'll find it. It won't be hard to find. It's gotten over 35 million views on YouTube by last count, and two of them are mine. So I can attest to the fact that this is a four-minute just tirade from this guy, a professing Christian against organized religion, including what we're doing here right now. There are many people, especially those in the 30 or under millennial generation, who would say, he's right. We don't need no stinking religion. All we need is a relationship. Have you ever heard that? Religion bad, relationship, good. You know, that again, that, that's just out of balance. That's a self-deceptive mindset. The Bible teaches that Christianity is both. It's a religion and a relationship. And just like as Christians, we're required to be both hearer of the word and a doer of the word, you know, portraying faith as either religion or a relationship, that's deceptive. Now, if we reread, reread James 1, 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James describes a pure religion. There is a religion that pleases God. 
And it's one that doesn't participate with this sinful culture. It remains unstained. And it's one that cares for the weakest members of our society. In the first century ancient Near East, widows and orphans had no rights. They had no standing. They had no voice. They had no hope. Unless people stepped into their lives to help them out. People like who, to quote the Old Testament prophet Micah, did justice, loved kindness, and walked humbly with their God. Unless these people helped them out, their welfare was in jeopardy. And today we could easily expand this group to include widows, orphans, of course, the unborn, the elderly, the sick, the unemployed, the addicted, the homeless, to name a few. You know, whatever our local statistics are concerning hurting people, it really doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to us. Is unemployment increasing or decreasing? Is homelessness on the rise in Springfield or is it not? It really doesn't matter, does it? Because our eyes don't deceive us. I mean, come on, we see the problems. We see the poverty. We see struggling people that God loves every bit as you or me. And I don't really want to be part of a church or a religion that turns to its hurting community and says, God loves you, be warm and filled, and does nothing. And I know you don't either. And that's why I thank the Lord for ministries within our church and outside of our church that you all respond to so faithfully, like the James Project where the purpose is to help hurting kids in our community. We support them monthly. And whenever there's a need for that ministry, and I bring it forth to the congregation, you guys always fulfill that need, always. Not only financially, but with your time and your energy to help. We've all rallied together to support not only financially, but again, with our time and energy. Feed my starving children. Helping, doing something to feed hungry children all over the world. Some of that food last year was sent to Haiti, where we know it is needed so desperately. And also in Haiti, we support Haitian Christian Ministries, which is a wonderful organization, making a big difference in lives of children there, founded in love of Christ as the cornerstone in all that they do. So I encourage you, if you're hearing me, but you aren't doing anything with your faith, I just want, I just want you to consider how you can be a doer and not just a hearer of these things. And maybe it means that you give up a few hours a week and you come volunteer and serve here at CCC. Maybe it means giving up a few hours a week to go into Springfield and find a ministry in there, a food pantry, something like that. Maybe it means you dig a little deeper and give sacrificially. Maybe it means you pray for a different family in our congregation every day. I don't know what it looks like for you, but I do know if you know Christ as your Savior, then you know the things I just described are good. These are good things. That's pure and undefiled religion. And you also know that a group of believers striving together for faith, for the faith of the gospel. We, we, we can accomplish so much more than one loner who has a relationship and no religion. But knowing that's only half the equation, right? Doing is the other half. So, in conclusion, the question in this first chapter that James seems to be leaving us with is just simply this. 
What are you doing with your faith? Not what have you done, not will you do, what are you doing for Christ now with your faith? This is your mirror, look at it. Right? We see the problems, we have the solution. The solution, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And there's power in that name. There's power to save a soul. He saved every one of us in this room. He has the power to change that homeless person's life, right? I mean, we have to still believe that. If you were to ask me at the start of this message, you know, Mark, what's the one thing you want people to take away this morning? My answer would be that I just want this just to be a simple opportunity for you just to search your heart, and I need to search my heart. I need to look for balance. I need to see, is there balance in my life between hearing the word of God and doing? Because true, God-honoring Christianity involves both a relationship with the Lord and religion where believers work together to serve God. We need to hear the word, study scriptures, be in church to worship God. But Christianity, it just doesn't start there. Pardon, doesn't end there. You guys all know it just starts there. We need to do the word. Apparently, this was the one thing missing from the lives of James's original audience, and I must continually examine myself too to see if it's missing from mine. So, when we bow our heads in just a few minutes for communion, which I just encourage you, examine your heart this morning. Just bow your head and examine your heart. Just between you and our Heavenly Father, just ask yourself the following question. God, am I a doer? Am I doing your word? Or am I just simply hearing? Praise him for the relationship we have with him made possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him for giving us work to do, right? In which he says, in his eyes, that's pure religion. Let's think of those things as we come to our communion time here in just a bit.